Hey everyone, welcome to the Fort Worth OMB podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Brian Wong. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Matthew Earl, and we're very excited to be here today. All right, good morning, Dr. Wong. Good morning, Dr. Earl. How's it going? Long well, time no see. I know, it's been a minute since we've recorded one of these. So today, we're going to talk about tracheostomy basics and suctioning. <gasps> okay. Yeah, right. super fun topic. <sighs> the nice neck hole that all the nasty stuff comes out of. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of gross. So... From the experiences that I've had in the hospital, these trachs come in all shapes and sizes, and there are all kinds of doodads that you can hook up to them. Yeah, I can't keep my head wrapped around on all the different brands and all the other like stuff that comes with it. Can't keep my head around them all. There's a ton of them. So talk to me a little bit about the basics. What are trachs? How can I tell the difference between different types of trachs? And what shapes and sizes do they come in? So if we're going to talk about trace, we're going to talk about the actual tubing itself, right? Usually the one company that actually makes the majority of the uh, tracheostomy tubes um, are uh, produced by the company named Shiley, okay? Um, this tube's diameter sizes are similar to our regular ET, so 6.5, 8 tubes. They usually mean the inner diameter of the tube, so the inner diameter of a 6.0 trach is the same as the inner diameter of a 6.0 ETT, right? Okay. So that's a big one uh, to, to kind of remember. Um, there are tricks that actually come either similar to our pediatric ETTs. They can come in either cuffed or uncuffed forms. Even if the cuff is present, it may not be inflated at all times. And usually when the cuff is usually used when the patient uses the trach for like positive pressure, uh, positive pressure ventilation, so like BiPAP or the vent or something along those lines, okay? Got it. Um, there's also different lengths, and they have small, some of them have smaller bores. Um, the size of the trach is usually printed on the flange of the trach itself, so you'll actually see if the size of it and like the type of an acronym that's on that flange itself. So it'll say like a DCT for a cuffed trach, uh, a DCFS for an uncuffed trach with fenestrations on them. An XLT means it's extra long and it may or may not have like a balloon that's attached to it. So before we uh, kind of like do anything with it and before you even touch the trach, if you intend to move or pull it, just make sure that you have a similar trach that's available made by like the same company or at least like something along the lines of a similar size uh, in the equipment to manage with. Gotcha. So to make sure I get it, Shiley isn't a type of tube, it's a manufacturer. So if someone right. says, I need a, a 6 Shiley, that tells me the size. Yeah, it's a okay. brand name. It's like Gucci. <laughs> gotcha. So it's the good stuff. And then when we get into the nitty-gritty, when we look at like DCT, that tells me if there's a cuffed or not cuffed. So if we go to a full name, it's like a Shiley 6.0 DCT tells me that they need a 6.0 size cuffed Shiley trach, right? Correct. Okay. That is a lot to remember. Yeah, too much for me. And, and keep in mind that some of these trachs will get into just silly, long names. They can make extremely specialized ones. Some of them will have double lumens. The sky's the limit when it comes to different fancy trachs. So if the acronym isn't one you recognize, understand that that could be a specialty device, and maybe don't pull that if you don't have to. Sounds good. So let's talk about some of the weird stuff that our medics are going to find attached to a trach. Because... There's all kinds of stuff that, that get attached to these. And, I mean, we've seen some of it in hospitals, but even more so in long-term care facilities. People can have caps and valves and T-pieces and all kinds of stuff. And 
the main reason that you need to know about this stuff is it gives you information about what your patient's baseline requirements are. So let's talk a little bit about it. So most important thing that we need to talk about is on a general trach. Each trach is going to have the external component, which is the tube, as well as an inner cannula. That inner cannula is kind of a clear plastic piece, and that usually serves as the only attachment point for a BVM. So if you lose that inner cannula, you're in a lot of trouble because oh, you can't bag no bueno. the patient. Yeah, that's, that's bad news bears. So no bueno. if you pull that inner cannula out, you have to keep track of it. Okay, especially if you're cleaning it, you can't lose it or misplace it. So in the Shiley's, most commonly you remove that inner cannula by pinching on a couple of wings on the side of the tube. That will release a catch and you can gently remove it. There are some that require a twist, but those are pretty uncommon. Another piece of equipment that you may use if you're putting a trach back in is called an obturator. So basically that's a blunt piece of plastic that slides down the trach tube to act as an introducer. The most important thing to remember is that this cannot allow the patient to breathe while they're in place. It is an obstructive piece of equipment. So if you have the obturator in place when you're putting a trach in, that patient can't breathe till you take it out. It's kind of like the stylet for the ET tube. That's a perfect comparison. It is, it is a piece of plastic that sits inside of your airway device to keep it rigid and help you get it in place. And just like the stylet in an ET tube, you can't breathe around it. Fair enough. So other things you need to keep in mind, a lot of trachs, especially newer ones or in long-term care facilities, will have a big bulky dressing around it. These trachs tend to leak mucus, they may bleed. And oh, that's we, gross. It is, it really is. But having that dressing in place is good cosmetically, but it can hide a lot from you. So understanding that that bulky dressing isn't part of the trach, but is just part of the trach care, you may need to pull that off to get a good look at what you're doing. And in fact, you really should do that anytime you're assessing a tracheostomy. There may be a trach securing device that's attached to this. That can be something similar to our ET holders. It may be something just like a piece of string. So whatever's used to hold that trach in place, you need to know how to remove it, or at least how to recognize it that that's what that device is for. Now the T piece comes in a bunch of different shapes and forms. Basically what this is allowing is you can connect this to the trach. You, it allows you to pass supplemental oxygen while keeping suction in place. So for patients who are more supplemental oxygen dependent but not ventilator dependent, it allows you to pass suction while you're providing supplemental oxygen. In acute trach management, you might need to take this out of the way, especially if you're looking at bagging or increasing their, their partial pressure of oxygen. Some of these will have really long flexible tubing components that just kind of get in the way, but it helps keep the, the airway from getting dislodged. The last two things are caps and valves. So a speaking valve is basically, it's usually a little red cap or purple cap, and it looks like a filter. And what that does is it allows the patient to breathe in through the trach, but as they're breathing out, it doesn't allow the air to flow out, so it forces it over their vocal cords to allow them to speak. That basically is the only thing that allows a patient with a trach to talk. Same thing with a trach cap, except it is completely occlusive. These are things that you put on a trach for patients who are working towards getting away from trach dependence. Oh, okay, all right. So just to kind of summarize, we have, as far as the fancy uh, bits and pieces of the trach tubes, you got the inner cannula. Don't want to lose that part because that's not going to be, the patient's not going to be able to breathe uh, without that. The obturator is pretty much the stylet, like the ETTs, and 
obviously you can't breathe through a piece of plastic. Um, and also, there's a bunch of ways that you can essentially MacGyver the tracheostomies down and then secure it and whatnot, right? Exactly, exactly. That's a perfect summary. Fantastic. Is there a way we can find out some of this information before we have to start managing these patients? Usually, the patient themselves or family member on site will actually be able to provide a lot of details. That's how I usually get a lot of my information. Um, if I can't necessarily look through the EMRs uh, and whatnot, and I kind of rely on the patient and also the family themselves, they usually have a lot of good information. But you also have to remember to ask the most specific of questions in order to direct your care to the best of your ability. Gotcha. So, so what kind of what, what are the questions that you ask these trach patients, family members, or caretakers? So uh, the number one uh, thing that I usually start off with is how old is the trach, all right? If the patient literally just had the trach placed less than a week ago, don't touch it. Don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, and I'm going to repeat that. Do not touch it. Okay. Why don't we want to touch it? <laughs> the, the reason why that the trach is actually in there, um, and if it's less than a week, the stoma, the hole that the actual trach goes in there, it's not mature enough. So if you pull that trach out, that stoma is going to collapse, and now you're really going to have an airway emergency at that point, and now you're in a whole bunch of trouble right there. Yeah. So do not touch a trach if it is pretty new, Okay. There's also like a bunch of other complications that can happen with it, such as bleeding um, with that. And that's also a huge mess if there's a bleed uh, within the trach and the stoma around there. We'll get into like another podcast episode for that, though. Um, and really old traits may be subject to kind of like scarring and whatnot, too. So you want to really know how long that that patient has had that tracheostomy. When was the last time it was changed, okay, is also another big question that you want to know. If the trach hasn't been swapped out in like months even like some i've even seen one patient go an entire year without changing out their trach and it was just completely obstructed with mucus and and that's just in the natural course of the evolution of things you have a piece of plastic that's in there that's exchanging a, little, uh, a bunch of air and whatnot but you still have that um airway stuff and secretions and mucus that's going to plug it up at some point so that's also a big thing to know, too. When was the last time they actually changed out that trach? Um, why do they have that trach? Was well, because they were intubated for two months because they had COVID, so they converted over to a tracheostomy. Or if they had some sort of laryngeal cancer that needed to be excised but also took part of their, uh, their, their, their trachea as well. Laryngectomies is also a big one. you, you got to ask about this one, too, because this implies that they actually, the ENT surgeons cut the upper and lower airways, they cut it out uh, completely. So their upper and their lower airways aren't even connected at that point. And that's the reason why that they have that trach and they depend on that trach in order to breathe, in order to stay alive. That is so important. That is something I ask every single one of my trach patients because if the mouth isn't connected to the lungs anymore, it doesn't matter what you do to the mouth it's, it's because bad. it's not going to do anything. Like like you said, it's bad news bears. It's bad news bears. You don't <laughs> want to try to bag a patient who has a laryngectomy by, by, via the mouth. You yeah. can only breathe them through the trach, so you've got to know if they've had a laryngectomy. 
Also, another big one, too, is secretions, okay? It's kind of part of, like, your dopes mnemonic whenever you are intubating a patient and then you, now they're kind of more difficult to bat. And secretions is one of those big things where it can plug it up, those trachs, and, and it makes it more difficult to actually breathe through. The, one of the number one reasons why patients come into the ED is because their trach is clogged. It's clogged by those mucus and the secretions and whatnot. And they, they're asking you to change it up because it's harder for them to breathe. That's a big one right there. Like I said, too, bleeding from around the site is also a really, really huge one, too. But we'll get that. I'll get into that in another podcast. And if they have any backups, too. Yeah, absolutely. And like we talked about, some of these trachs will be really strange specialized trachs. So if your patient has a duplicate backup of the equipment they already use, that's perfect. So if you have to exchange their trach, you already have exactly what they need if they have that backup. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the different trach types now let's talk about trying to get a patient to oxygenate through a trach. So the number one most important thing you got to remember is just because the trach is there doesn't mean it's in the right place. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So especially with the patients who come in with big, bulky dressings, all of this junk sitting around their trach, it's really easy for that trach to get displaced, especially if it's uncuffed, and you not be able to tell. Mm. So before you do anything to that trach, you need to make sure it's in the right place. Mm -hmm. So you can do that by feeling for air movement through the trach. Obviously, if they're making a lot of noise breathing through the trach, there's air movement. Or using your end tidal detector to make sure that you're getting breathing through that trach. Okay, okay. And the reason you do this is that if you try to bag a patient through a trach that's displaced, you're going to breathe air into their neck, and you're going to give them subcutaneous emphysema, pneumo mediastinum, they're going to blow up like the Michelin man. Yeah, because it, the, the trach accidentally created a false passage or it may have dumped into a false passage. Exactly. And now you're just uh, blowing up the, the skin. Now, that's kind of gross right there. Yeah, it, and you'll be able to tell that this is happening if their skin starts to feel like Rice Krispies. Oh, man. It's a really strange thing. You'll remember it if you've ever seen it or felt it. But that is an indication that you need to stop doing what you're doing and figure out if that trach's in the right place. So okay. to avoid that, before you do anything to a trach, try to assess to see if there's air movement through it. If you have good air movement, it's more likely in the right place. So Rice Krispies are bad in this case. Rice Krispies are bad in this case. So then we'll talk about passive strategies for oxygenation. We'll talk a little bit more about aggressive stuff in a minute. But for passive oxygenation, your first line should be replacing passive oxygenation, so like a non-rebreather or nasal cannula, over the trach and the face. So okay. that allows you to cover both bases that if they do have a laryngectomy, they're getting oxygen over their trach while you're trying to figure out the patient's history. And if they don't, you're supplying them with good oxygenation regardless of if they primarily breathe through their trach or if they still have some ability to breathe through their upper airway. Okay. So that's really important because you want to make sure that they're getting oxygen through whatever route they can get through. Most often that's going to be the trick, but it also helps the family and the patient feel like they're being helped when they have a mask placed over the organs that they primarily associate with breathing. Yeah, I think that's pretty important. Right? You want the patient to, to feel like they're get, having something done to help them. So when in doubt, oxygenate through both routes. The other thing you may encounter at hospital or healthcare facilities is a specialty mask placed over the trach called a trach collar. If that's already in place, it's completely fine to hook that up to your oxygen source and use that. Just make sure that you're looking at a trach collar and you're not mistaking another piece of equipment for it. But that's basically a specialized non-rebreather or oxygen mask 
that's cut to sit over the neck in the trach as opposed to a non-rebreather which is molded for the face. Okay, all right then. How can we do this oxygenation for patients who are a little bit more on the sick side? So this is already making me feel kind of tachypnic already. Right? This is an anxiety-inducing thing. And I see what you did there, dad joke. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, the oxygenation strategies for very critically ill patients, all right? You got to have a plan, all right, is the number one thing. When you're going into this, you got to have a plan for for these patients to potentially crump on you. And they're very, very scary, too. Um, You just need to figure out, you know, have a really good uh, plan A, plan B, and then maybe even plan C after that. D, E, F, G. Just keep on going going down (laughs) the alphabet, okay? If the patient has a laryngectomy, um, you can't do any airway interventions through the mouth because obviously, like we were saying before, there's, there's no connection between there, okay? Max BVM via the mouth in patients without a laryngectomy um, is definitely something that you can probably do, okay? Um, except that you must cover the stoma. If you start actually trying to BVM the patient without covering the stoma, obviously it's not going to get to the lungs. And where do we want the, the air to go to? want to go to the lungs. Yeah, an extra incentive. If you bag a patient really hard, that all that goop sitting in the, the tracheostomy is going to come flying out right yeah. at you. So make sure you cover the trach if you're going to yeah. bag their face. Oh, man, that just me sick just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, trach secretions are one of the few things that still gross me out, man. Yeah. Um, if the trach has been uh, removed, use a 4x4 gauze and cover the stoma just to try to prevent like the air escape, okay? okay. Um, a small amount of lube on the gauze can help you get a better seal um, for that, okay? So those are just kind of like some tips and pearls. And tidal CO2, obviously a big one. Yeah, uh, one always, always. If we're trying to oxygenate uh, from below the trach itself, okay, it should only be done after you verify the trach is in place, okay? And also check that the inner cannula um, is open and it's there, and it's not, you know, like dislodged or anything like that. Um, if, the, if the cannula is in place and not obstructed, you can try to BVM through the trach if you want to, if, you can, uh, if it's feasible in, in that manner, okay? The inner cannula has to be attached to the BVM to the trach, all right? Um, if the trach is occluded or if it's not in place, you cannot bag through it. That is a big, big one right there too, okay? Yep. Uh, if you cannot replace a trach or there's uh, or clear the obstruction like mucus uh, or something like that, trying to like suction it out, remove the trach and just try to BVM through the stoma using a PEDS BVM mask. Okay. Got it. For either of these uh, scenarios, uh, we're going to go ahead and try to hammer this home one more time. Inline and tidal CO2, attach the BVM to make sure that you're getting effective ventilations. Got it. So to make sure I understand, if you're bagging from the mouth, you have to make sure that they're not a laryngectomy patient and you got to tr- cover the trach. If you're going to try to bag through the trach or bag from below, if the trach's in place... It's got to be in the right place, and you need the inner cannula. Otherwise, you can't BVM through the trach. Correct. If the inner cannula is gone or the trach's not in the right place, you can BVM through the stoma, but you use a PEDS mask to get that seal. Yes. Does that sound right? Sounds right. Okay, perfect. So then, finally, let's talk a little bit about suctioning. And the really important part about this, this is an airway procedure. Like anything else, this is an airway manipulation which means that you have to pre-oxygenate your patient and have a backup plan. We're going to manipulate their airway. So whenever possible, obviously there are going to be patients who are an extremist and this may not be feasible, 
but whenever you're doing a routine trach suctioning, you're going to have them on full monitoring. You're going to pre-oxygenate them like you're going to intubate them, and then warn the patient. Getting your trach sucked sucks. It's <laughs> unpleasant. It's like someone's taking a catheter and jiggling it around in your lungs. They're going to cough. They're going to wheeze. They're going to tear up. It's unpleasant. And you just made fun of me for my dad joke. Hey, man. It's <laughs> contagious. So if you're going to suction the patient, warn them. Pre-oxygenate them. Don't do deep suctioning for a prolonged time. If you're going to do a deep suctioning, especially if you don't have a, a chance to pre-oxygenate, do a quick suction and get the oxygen back in place. As you do more shallow suctioning, they may be able to tolerate it longer. But keep in mind, the amount of time that your suction catheter is in place is the amount of time you're asking your patient to hold their breath. So the more unstable your patient, the less time they're going to be able to hold their breath. And whenever you think about suctioning a patient, I want you to think about it like, I'm about to manipulate this airway. It could become dislodged. It could become like we could pop the balloon. I might need to take this airway after I finish suctioning. So at least think through your steps. Do you have a similar size ET tube? Do you have a similar size trach available? What are you gonna do? What are the steps you're gonna take if this trach becomes dislodged or obstructed? All right, so just to make sure that I got you uh, totally clear that if we're gonna uh, suction the patient, this is essentially like we're about to intubate the patient. We need to prepare uh, for it as if that we're intubating the patient. Pre-oxygenation is definitely the key. If we're going to uh, suction, don't suction for way too long because essentially we're taking away all the air in their airways. Um, and also just to make sure that we have a good backup plan and then make sure that we have uh, a Shiley uh, or a similar ETT that we can actually put in there just in case. Exactly. That's perfect. And if, if our medics can keep that in mind, they're going to be well prepared to deal with these trach emergencies. So in the next couple episodes, we'll talk more about what to do with really sick trach patients, how to swap a trach, and how to deal with the really feared trach hemorrhage. Hopefully the next episodes won't suck. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Keep in mind, show notes are posted on the OMD website. There's going to be a link in the description if you need to look at pictures or do a little bit more reading to understand what we talked about today. But thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to chatting with you next time. See you next time.